Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Today we pay tribute to their sacrifice and we mourn deeply for the nearly 3,000 precious and beautiful souls who were taken from us. President Donald Trump in Pennsylvania on this, the 19th anniversary of 9-11. We go to New York City now. CBS reporter Wendy Gillette joins us. Wendy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. A different um, anniversary uh, for this uh, horrible event today in New York. Tell us about some of the differences. Yeah, the pandemic has really changed everything, including how the nation is paying tribute to the 9-11 attacks 19 years after they happened. Here in New York City, relatives of those who died in the World Trade Center attacks did not read the names of their loved ones, which is the usual tradition every year. They were still invited to the memorial. They pre-recorded the reading of the names, and the recording was broadcast on speakers and streamed online. That was to allow for social distancing because of the coronavirus. But one group didn't like that plan, the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation. So it set up a ceremony a few blocks away where relatives could read the names still remaining socially distanced. About 125 people attended that ceremony. And initially, the tribute in light, the two beams lighting up the New York City skyline and the footprint of the towers, wasn't going to shine tonight. But after pushback, that decision was reversed, and the tribute is still happening. Members of the public are allowed onto uh, the Ground Zero site in about a half hour. The bells still tolled this morning to mark the moments that planes hit the Twin Towers, but there was no stage set up for grieving families. And elsewhere around the country, the memorial at the Pentagon was not even open to victims' families. Small groups are allowed to visit this afternoon. President Trump spoke this morning at the Flight 93 National Memorial near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden visited there this afternoon. He also went to Ground Zero this morning where he ran into Vice President Pence. And instead of shaking hands, they bumped elbows to avoid close contact, as many of us do these days. Yeah. Um, you know, I was saying at the start of the show today, uh, 19 years ago, I was doing rock radio, not talk radio. I was doing a morning show with BJ, my partner BJ on Power 97, and we were um, as shocked as everybody when it happened and then when we realized what was happening, uh, that it wasn't just a, a crazy accident. And I think we all, wherever we are in the world, really, uh, we all remember where we were, how we felt uh, that day. You're in New York. I'm really curious to get your thoughts on how New York is doing 19 years later to the day. How are New Yorkers? How has how has this event changed them almost 20 years out? Well, I think the pandemic has been a, a difficult reminder for a lot of people. I would say most New Yorkers know someone who died in the towers, and mm-hmm. most New Yorkers know someone who died during the pandemic. So this has been a difficult time. Uh, also, you have to remember that a lot of people who got sick near Ground Zero are more vulnerable to yeah. the illnesses uh, from the pandemic. So you sort of have that double whammy of recovering from the um, from the Ground Zero illnesses and then being mm-hmm potentially more vulnerable from um, COVID-19. So that is something that people are dealing with in New York City. But I would say overall, there's, of course, the great resilience of New York City. 
And yep. the city recovered from that uh, incredible tragedy and uh, came through that with flying colors. Of course, now we're going through another tragedy. We were the epicenter of uh, the coronavirus pandemic and uh, now doing very well. So, uh, but also financially suffering uh, quite a bit. And uh, just a couple days ago, uh, just yesterday, actually, um, city leaders wrote to the mayor, Mayor, mayor de Blasio, saying, uh, we are really suffering and you have to change your policies and you have to do better um, and lead us out of this crisis. And there is a lot of problems right now in the city with the homelessness and uh, social situation. And and uh, so the city, again, dealing with uh, a lot because of this crisis. Mm-hmm. Here in, in Manitoba, we're marking six months uh, since the first case uh, of COVID-19 in the pandemic. And I was saying earlier that in, in many ways, 9-11 changed so much going forward. And, and how will things change permanently from, from COVID-19? I, I did want to take a moment, and I want you to talk about Patriot Day. I don't think a lot of people up here know about about Patriot Day. Explain what that's about, making good from this horrible anniversary. Well, a lot of people try to to do to do good and try to give back today. Um, there is a little bit of difference this year, though, because of the pandemic. So instead of trying to to give back and and, and do something charitable today, uh, organizations are asking people to instead donate money um, and try to stay socially distant rather than you know go try to help communities. Hmm. Hey, Wendy, thanks a lot for this. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. We are going to talk to Winnipeg's truck and song guy, Sean Byrne. Sean, good afternoon. Hey, how you doing, man? Excellent. Hey, I, I'll be really honest with you. I was not even aware of you until Sam Thompson, one of our online journalists, says, hey, you're doing trucking stuff for Trucking Week. you got to talk to Sean. Uh, you sent me over uh, your video and uh, bits and pieces of your album. You are fantastic, man. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yeah, you really are. And I've got a real love. It, what is this? Is this a sub-genre of country music? Is that the best way to describe it? I guess so, yeah. You know, I'm kind of made famous in the in the mid to late 60s to the 70s by folks like Dave Dudley and Red Solvine and Red Simpson and Del yeah. Reeves, you know, and... and uh, Sort of, you know, took off in a in a whole parade of trucking compilations that definitely inspired uh, ours. You're a young guy. How did you get into that? I mean, I guess you hear something, you like it, and and you run with it, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I appreciate that. I, I'm definitely older than I look, and uh, <laughs> uh, but I I come from it honestly. My father was a was a musician his entire life. Uh, spent a lot of time on the road and was a country music enthusiast. So I had a lot of uh, you know cassettes and vinyl records at my house growing up to, to sort of you know pilfer through. And one of my favorites is the KTEL Records 24 Great Truck Driving Classics, and we yep. covered you know a good handful of of songs uh, on our records from that one. You bet. I think I had yeah. that one too. Yeah, in yeah. Southern Alberta, right? Ketel came right out of Winnipeg, but I had it in Southern right. Alberta. You mentioned Red Solvine and Dave Dudley and some of these others. Do you have a favorite? 
Uh, Red Simpson is my is my favorite. He did a couple trucking records, Roll Truck Roll and uh, Truck Driving School uh, in the mid-60s. And he's out of Bakersfield. He wrote a bunch of hit songs that Buck Owens recorded as well. And the, the Bakersfield sound is kind of what, uh, what made me fall in love with country music as a young fella. And can people get the album at the uh, Bandcamp.com site that you've got? Is that where people the best place to go? Or where can people go to find out more about you, Sean? Well, currently, it's only available at seanburns.bandcamp.com, and all of yep. the sales we are donating to the Times Changed High and Lonesome Club because uh, it's, it's such an important place in the community, and it's really kind of a you know home base for us when we're performing. And we're going to be performing there this Tuesday night, actually, the first show in six months that the Times Changed, and we're going to be doing the entire trucking record from front to back. Well, and I was going to get to that because this is is really cool. You love the joint. And oh, yeah. you perform there a lot. In fact, I think you did this album there, and you decided that all the money raised by this album will go to Times Change. Yeah, it's a, you know kind of uh, John Skoll's down there has been really good to us, and we've recorded two records down there. You know, kind of non-operational hours we set up and we make a record, and uh, he's been very supportive of us and the entire music community. So, you know, he hasn't reached out uh, for any kind of support through this whole COVID time. So we kind of just forced it on him, like, hey, we want to do this, and we want to you know, contribute everything we can to this place that we love. And so, when's the show again? Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, September 15th at 8 p.m. There's uh, there's tickets on eventbrite.com. You can go to the Times Changed High and Lonesome Club Facebook page for a link to that, and it will be on stage at 8 p.m. Just 60 tickets available. So I'm not sure how many are left, but uh, we hope uh, we hope they all move pretty quick. Yeah, and uh, you've got other gigs as well. I mean, despite COVID-19, you're, you're getting out and performing a little bit. Yeah, September's pretty good. There's a nice handful. We're doing one at the Wits End on Thursday night. It's a little house concert venue. They do shows in their yard, and we'll be at the uh, Legion in South Osborne Legion at the end of the month as well. So it's nice to get out and do a few, especially you know on the back of this this new record, get to play all these songs for, for people. So a lot of covers on this uh, album, but there's at least one song that's yours, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, there's one that's mine, and one written by another Winnipeg musician named Andrew Neville. Okay, and we're going to play the audio from the video you sent for me. What's this one called again? Keep on Trucking, which is a big hit for Dave Dudley. We, that's you know kind of what we modeled it after, and it's uh, you know it's uh, it's a sound uh, uh, motto for these times. I think you know. He is here for his regular Friday visit, Dr. Cyrus, drcyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Cyrus, hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. So before we get into our uh, content that we prepared to chat about here today, a few headlines, you sent me an email yesterday, and you said, Hal, I've coined a new phrase, health discrimination, and this relates to the uh, Churchill High student, grade 7 student, uh, that tested positive for COVID-19. Um, and you know what? I have not heard that. I think you might be the first to use that term, Doc. You know, I, I maybe spoke too pre- uh, prematurely. I did Google it afterwards, and uh, I didn't see it. I saw health, I saw discrimination, but I never saw, at least on the front page of Google anyway. So I'm yeah. sure somebody's used it. But yes, I think this is kind of a more of a reality uh, especially now in this pandemic. And uh, I think people are really facing discrimination because of health issues that they are facing that they may not necessarily have any uh, any reason to you know, feel like there's any guilt or blameworthiness there. And health officials say, don't shame, don't judge, um, but it happens. Mm. 
It does happen, and it happens to, it, it seems to be, when people experience consequences, when they, uh, when they feel threat, uh, it doesn't necessarily matter for them whether the person is blameworthy, has done anything negligent. Uh, there can be this discrimination. Our brain wants to take shortcuts, and it's easy just to feel like they're bad, like they're wrong, um, and like it's on purpose. When we do something wrong, we normally blame external things. You know, uh, they made me do it. But when somebody else does it wrong, we normally consider it to be a uh, part of their character, like they're wrong, they're bad. And so this happens around these kinds of issues. So it's something to really watch out for. It's natural in all of us to do this to people. And particularly when it's somebody who is underage, it gets really sad because these people are in identity formation when you're an adolescent. And that's not the time to have people giving you a bunch of negative messages, especially on a large scale. So it's really sad if that happened to this to this child is, here that we're talking about. It is sad, and it's wrong, but it also, I think, drives people underground in this sense, that somebody maybe who mm. should go and get tested or maybe has mm-hmm. been tested and has COVID-19, you're less likely to be public about that, which is really important in a pandemic. Oh, yes. I could totally uh, not understand but appreciate the fact that you know somebody who's in that kind of situation uh could feel shame could want to hide that fact uh hopefully in that situation would at least take you know a lot of precautions and self-isolate uh but yeah there is probably a dark number uh of covid on what actually is really happening how many cases are there and how many people are just like well you know um i mean i don't know if you your social circle but i've heard of people who are just like, yeah, I got sick and I just hung out at home and I dealt with it that way rather than actually going and getting tested. So I'm sure that there is a dark number and the size of it is probably related to the amount of shame that people experience when they are identified. All right, let's move on. Uh, Well, we're going to stick with COVID-19, but our first headline here uh, this afternoon with Dr. Cyrus is how COVID-19 affected the way, uh, has how has COVID-19 affected the way we communicate? What's this all about? Well, the main thing here is, you know, isolation. We've talked a lot about isolation. People um, are more isolated, which unfortunately leads to suspicion, and suspicion leads to defensiveness and then more isolation. So people are kind of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy of being more isolated. And now I think we're in this phase of more and more people coming out, and now we see masks, which is another kind of isolation, um, because even though people are seeing each other in person, it's harder to see people's emotions. And so... There's a, you know, there's a distance there emotionally when you connect with somebody in person, but you're wearing a mask uh, because you don't have that reinforcement of the smile. You don't have the reinforcement, uh, you know, of that positive emotion. And sometimes you can you have trouble hearing the person. And so you can have mm-hmm. more misunderstanding. It's, it's harder to talk uh, to the person, understand what they're saying. And, and I, I feel this when, when I'm dealing, I'm talking with somebody who is uh, harder to understand generally for me. Uh, because of an accent or some other issue. Uh, if I can't see their lips, it's even harder to understand them. So yeah. it, it creates distance, uh, and it's really sad when that happens. And so this is just another form of isolation that's happening, even if people are coming out of their homes and seeing each other in person. Well, we just had Clay Young on one of our Global News reporters talking about six months tomorrow since the first case of COVID-19 mm-hmm. in, in Manitoba, talking about that anniversary and um, he talked to a bunch of people, and there was one woman, a senior, who just lost her husband. And we were we were talking about that. Imagine going through something so difficult, 
um, mm-hmm. as an elderly person and not being able to have family and friends around, right? So it's communication, mm-hmm. but it's support too. Oh, 100%. I mean, when you think, when you see people in North America greet each other, um, and especially, you know, with uh, with a lot of people, they greet each other with a lot of emotion. There's a lot of smiling and there's a double eyebrow raise, you know, their, your eyes kind of light up and go wide. And there's a lot of things that happen in those moments when people are interacting, which almost overexpressive is the cultural norm in North America for people as they're interacting with people they haven't seen for a while. And um, and there's a lot of, you know, touch and hugging often. And so to take out all of that is, is disconcerting for people. It, it feels like you're not liked. You can tell yourself, you know, I am liked. This person likes me. It's okay. But you can't, it's hard to, you have to kind of get over this initial reaction. Like if somebody came from another country where showing the bottom of your foot to the person was an insult and somebody crossed their legs and showed them their foot, like, I'm in Canada. I'm in Canada. The bottom of the feet doesn't matter. But they <laughs> still have that reaction of anger right. and frustration and disrespect. And now that's what we have all the time with this mask. It's like, oh, you're, you're not connecting with me. Oh, but it's just the mask. It's just the mask. And sometimes you don't even realize that's what's actually going on. You actually think the person's upset. So this is something that's interfering and causing a lot of problems out there. Well, and, and further to that, uh, I have been here at home at the home studio doing my show since March 18th. One day I had equipment issues. I had to take the equipment in. I did my show uh, at the studios of CJOB. And the people that were there working, they saw me and their reaction to seeing me. And I'm and I'm not one of the more popular. Well, listen, I'm not hated, <laughs> but I'm certainly not in, in the top five or six most popular people around there. But I was. They treated me like I was this long lost soul, and they were so glad to see me because they were, you know, not having that experience of interacting with somebody uh, new and and so it was it was kind of a big deal so it's it's funny it really has Im- impacted the way we communicate on on so many different levels uh let's run on uh, move on to the next one you know here what, Our I, dating- I think we need Go to ahead. talk about your popularity that's the next topic <laughs> <we need. laughs> okay yes and my insecurities obviously um Next headline here for Dr. Cyrus. Are dating apps a breeding ground for dark personalities? Oh, boy, this is a good one. (laughs) You know, I have a lot of people who come in coming out of abusive relationships. There's just lots of different circumstances who are talking about dating and dating apps and, and all this kind of stuff. And so this was just a really interesting article. It might change a little bit about what I say to them. To tell you the truth, the it seems that you know these dark personality traits, like you know narcissism, and they have one in here, Machiavellianism, uh, which is kind of this idea of using people, like uh, I flatter people in order to get what I want, that kind of thing, like intentionally playing chess with people's emotions. And it seems like these personalities actually predict uh, they're more likely to go on to a dating app. So if somebody was a narcissist, if they registered high in narcissism, they were more likely to have used or to use a dating app. And the Machiavelli one was actually more likely to spend more time on a dating app. And uh, unfortunately, the positive traits didn't really predict dating app usage, except for emotional stability, which predicted that you wouldn't use a dating app. So emotionally stable people were less likely to use a dating app. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't you know, people with you know, great personalities on dating apps, or it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that if you're using a dating app, that you are a narcissist or something like that. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that these kinds of things are more attractive to people who want to manipulate people 
uh, and who want to use other people. So it seems like this is a place where it's easier to do that, where it's attractive for people with those traits. And that lines up with some of the conversations that I've had. I mean, I've never used a dating app. I uh, wasn't part of that experience when I was in, in dating my dating years. But um, I think that it lines up with a lot of the things that I've heard people talking about, about these exp- uh, dating apps and how that goes. And so it is important to be really careful when you're out there and to watch out for this. Uh, I wouldn't say it necessarily means you don't use the apps, if, um, but it does mean that you need to be really careful. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.